Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Jess Kavanagh, the lead singer of the agro soul band Bark. They're just about to head out on their first national tour. They're heading out on the Big Giant Head Tour with two other bands, Harbouring Oceans and Hawk. And depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's just about to start. It's just ended, or it happened months and months ago, like years ago. Like, you should really listen to this podcast as soon as it comes out. And you can do that by subscribing to The Point of Everything on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever else you listen to podcasts. So the Big Giant Head Tour is calling in at Cypress Avenue in Cork on March 30th. Connolly's Alep on March 31st. The Pump House in Kilkenny on April 1st. It's not a joke, no, no. It's Pump House in Kilkenny on April 1st. The Central Arts in Waterford on April 2nd. Roisin Dove in Galway on April 5th. And then April 6th, it ends in Whelan's in some place called Dublin. So so I got, I got to sit down with Jess on... Uh, quite early on a Saturday morning we had a, a nice cup of coffee and we just kind of talked about the first year of Bark because it is pretty much a year since they played their first gig they released three songs in 2016 and their profile just grew and grew Jess was on the cover of Hot Press for their repeal the 8th issue uh, in September but also like People have known about her for years and years. You'll hear in the podcast, she's been in bands for a while. Barrack isn't her first band. She's been doing this for quite a long time. Ten years, no less. And she's also gotten to tour the world. There's a brilliant anecdote at the end of uh, the podcast, if you keep listening, about who she sits down with in L.A. And, uh, yeah, you go, wow, you've seen some things in your ten years, haven't you? Um, so, yeah, she's toured the world with Hosier. She's sung with the likes of Codaline. Jape was actually the first time, anyway, that I knowingly, anyway, saw her. Uh, Jape played Vicker Street in December 2015, and people around me were like, oh, there's a Jess. People knew her already, and lots more people know her now as a front woman of Bark, and they're really, really good, and they have big plans for the year, and we kind of talk about all that. We talk about... Hosier, of course, we talk about touring the world and lots and lots more. So it's about a 40 minute chat and you can hear it uh, in two minutes after a quick plug for if you like the podcast, you can tweet me at TPOE blog on, well, obviously Twitter, follow on Facebook, The Point of Everything, and you can email me as well at thepointofeverything at gmail.com and subscribe to the show, review and rate the show and, you know, be sound like that. So this is Jess Kavanagh from Bark talking about the first year of the band ahead of the big giant head tour. You're at the choice on Thursday night, last Thursday, and you're just saying that um it was kind of weird to have people coming up to you and being like, You're Jess from Bark. Or, yeah. Were they you're Jess from Bark or you're Bark? Uh a bit of both. It was a bit of both. Uh, there was there was one guy who who gave me my full name. Um, and then told oh, wow. me, yeah, super fan. Yeah. And then, and then his friend, his friend was like behind him kind of like face palming and just being like, dude, like shut up. <laughs> I was like, no, it's okay. It's fine. Thank you very much. Um, and they were, yeah, we were, we were chatting away and he said he liked the music. And so that's kind of, that's kind of weird, you know, because when people kind of go, Hey, and you turn around, and you don't know them. There's always that kind of like, Oh no, what's going to happen here? <laughs> um, 
especially on a night out. And, and now most of most of those, hey, situations are now becoming really positive and lovely because it's people who recognize me because of my band or our band. Our band so that's lovely. It, it, it's, it must be kind of weird as well because Bark have only been going for about a year. Is it? It's a year this month. Yeah, we released uh, Gentle Kind of Lies in March of 2016. So it's been nearly exactly a year. Yeah. Um, how does it feel like when, when you started, did you know like that you'd be getting recognized, you know, at the choice prize ceremony a year later? You're like, what? What's happening? Yeah. When you, when you put it that way, that's, it's pretty crazy. No, I, excuse me. No, I had no idea. Um, we were kind of riding together, myself and Tommy and Stephen Neal for probably about 12 to 18 months. Oh, okay. Uh, prior to us kind of releasing uh, Gentle Kind of Lies. So, you know, we were totally in each other's heads. You know, the only other people who'd really heard like the first three songs were, you know, friends, you know, who had like kind of walked in in rehearsals or, or people who had kind of heard some of the, the demos and so on. So like we had no idea how the, the general kind of public or the general music, Irish music community were going to, were going to accept it. Um, and in a way, like... <sighs> Like obviously that that recognition is amazing, but in a way, just kind of coming together with three close friends of mine and like just producing music was kind of enough of a reward. And I think, like to me, that's how I felt. I was like, you know what? Even if people aren't into this, I'm really I'm really proud of us, and I'm really proud that we've we've done this and come together and we've written and we've written and we've written and we've got three songs that we're really proud of, and we've gone in the studio and we've recorded it and we've gotten it mixed and we've gotten it mastered um you know by hiatus coyotes master andre ehrman and like you know there was all this amazing kind of things that that were a part of that process the creative process that just made it so rewarding um so i really felt that the recognition was kind of the icing on the cake you know and it was it was really cool but to to answer your question uh no i did not i did not expect <laughs> it at all um yeah it's interesting that it's been going for like 12 to 18 months before like the first single. Yeah. Like how did you guys come together? Were you, were you in bands before, Bark? Yeah, we, we've kind of, we've known each other for a really long time. Um, myself and Tommy were in a band together uh, called Creamy Goodness. Creamy Goodness. Uh, like, mm, a Guinness indeed. tribute band maybe? Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd think, you'd, you'd potentially think that. No, it was, um, it was a funk band. And like, Jesus, when we were like, when we were doing it, I sound like an Ellen when we were doing it. <laughs> in my day. In my day. Um, but, you know, there was, there was not, there wasn't other funk or soul bands whatsoever. Like, you know, so we were when like. When was that, like 2013-ish? Uh, no, no, no. We're talking 2005, oh, 2006. Whoa. Yeah. So like when we were back to, well, I think I met Tommy about 2007, 2008, but what I started with Creamy Goodness when I was about 20, uh, 19. So 2005, 2000, yeah, 2005. And, uh, you know, we were like supporting metal bands and stuff, you know, like in the Sugar Club because nobody knew what to do with us. You know, who, who was this seven piece funk band? Like, you know, and uh, so, yeah, so Tommy took over actually from Paul Kenny and Paul Kenny got a gig with Get Well Soon and subsequently he's now with James Vincent McMorrow and and Jape and, and so on. So I've known him for a really long time. Um, So that's how I met Tommy was through Creamy Goodness and then uh, he went to college with Steve in New Park. Uh, Steve is our guitarist. And then Steve's first band uh, was a band called Leopold. And that was a band that was kind of happening around the same time as Creamy Goodness. 
and uh, he was in that band with with Neil, the bassist. So we had kind of previous projects when we were kind of young adults, I guess. And we kind of knew each other on that scene. Um, and then we just gigged together. We've gigged together for years in, in, in different bands. And I guess the main one in particular was Gin and Juice, which is a hip hop band that we have. And, you know, the way to kind of reinterpret and reimagine, you know, program beats and, and, and hip hop and, and so on was was very much kind of developing a particular sound, you know, and kind of reimagining other people's music to to play to, you know, to, to make make rent or whatever. Um so that in itself I think was kind of the the kind of the gem or the kind of the seed that kind of started the the bark sound was kind of saying like we love, you know, electronic music and we love, you know, drum and bass and we love hip hop and we love so many different types of music and you know how do we reimagine that with guitar and bass and drums and vocals you know and the lads are like so incredibly um creative with their pedals and 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 just their their general kind of extended techniques so that was kind of the the beginning of of bark i guess was playing with different bands and kind of finding our sound through that so i think that's one of the reasons why people felt that we were very tight kind of straight away and like much earlier on maybe than than a lot of other young bands. Um, but yeah, that's kind of why we've been playing with each other for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. And so like those 12 to 18 months when you were kind of coming up with the with the sound of Bark, I guess, did you know mm. that you'd be like what, what I love, the description of agro soul and music <laughs> to dance dangerously to? Did you know like that's what you were going to sound like? no. No, I think we wanted to be a hip hop band. Oh yeah, yeah. I think and we wanted to be way like more strictly hip hop, but like, you know, like I I really enjoy experimenting with rap and experimenting with that. But it's such a, it's it's an absolute skill in itself. So I tried a couple of different things, and we experimented at the beginning, um, with kind of doing more hip hop, which I guess is where kind of gentle kind of lies came from, um. But then as we moved move forward, we, we ended up just interpreting and, and introducing so many different sounds that it's it's very much kind of expanded into into a much more um, mixed genre. Yeah. yeah. And it also seems like you're kind of well known on the music scene as well. Um, I see you have the, the post from Japes Vicker Street gig yeah. uh, up on the wall. Um, I was at that gig and uh, you were one of the backing singers, weren't you? I was. Yeah. And it was like people already knew like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Jess and stuff. And I was like, it's, it's Jess. It's this woman with the amazing voice. It, was, it seemed like everybody kind of already knew you. It was like, uh, is, is that just through like 10 years of, of being on the music scene, you know, kind of trying to make a name for yourself? Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ireland has been has been fantastic uh, to me. Um, as a as a singer and it's, it's been an amazing couple of years but yeah like we I've worked with Jape and I've worked with with Lethal Dialect um on 1988 um and uh Hosier and Codeline as well touring with them has been was pretty was pretty intense that was pretty crazy was that as Bark that you were touring with them or? no as as back and vocalist oh for yeah, both of them for both of them yeah how, how do all those opportunities come around again is it just like just being the right place at the right time being yeah I mean how, how do these things happen I guess yeah, I mean, I, I worked with Andrew. Andrew saw Gin and Juice and he heard me sing and that's kind of how we became friends. And then he was playing with Saska, who's a really good friend of ours. Um, and I've worked with Saska, so was Neil, so was Tommy in, in Bark. And so we're kind of, 
it's just about being a part of the same community. And I think people forget that, you know, even though, you know, Hosier and Codeline, you know, have, are, you know, incredibly famous and incredibly successful, they're still very much a part of, you know, the Irish music scene. And they, and they obviously want to be, and they, you know, they go to the Ruby sessions or, you know, I saw Andrew out um, after the Women's March on, on Wednesday. And, you know, th- these people are still very much a part of, of our of our community here, you know. So that's kind of how I met Andrew through through gigging. And I met Codeline through Dave, actually, from Overhead the Albatross. And um, because he also plays a Codeline, he's, he's really good friends with Jay from Codeline. Um, they they do production together. They have, they have a studio together. Um, I found Lethal Dialects, um, or he found me even, I think, through through online and, you know, people hearing about me. Um, and La Galaxy as well. Yeah, they, they kind of... They were they were a big fan of Lethal Dialect and they were a big fan of of Headstrong, um the hook I did so they asked me to do some stuff with them so yeah it's kind on of the new album or on their first album um I I did a song with them we kind of experimented together and stuff so we kind of every now and again we kind of meet up and we we do some we do some stuff okay. together that's a good couple of bands to kind of have you know you might have heard of Hosier might have heard of the Galaxy <laughs> you know, yeah vocals um yeah it's been it's been mad I mean. Yeah, it's great. And obviously just kind of out socializing and, and meeting these people. And, you know, I guess it's awesome the way the Irish music scene is, is that we're really open to collaboration, you know. And, you know, you, you, you saw that on, on Thursday with Bantam, like, you know, like the this, this stuff that he was doing with Farah L and, and Loa is like amazing. Man, like those two songs that they performed, they're like among the two best songs on like all of the 10 albums that are on that list. And yeah, Bantam is just a real collaborator, isn't he? And like working with Farrell is going to be a superstar. Like, yeah. Man, you could see that. Like she's going to be a superstar. Um, Lethal Dialect is yeah. an interesting guy. He released three, al- uh, kind of a trilogy of albums. And so did you know about him kind of before he asked you to work on them? No, I didn't. And I was, I was obviously a little bit reticent, if that's the right term, apprehensive maybe is a better one, because... You know, as you'd kind of do when you think of like kind of Irish hip hop, I wasn't really sure, um, you know, who he was or whatever. And then my friend was like, he's the Irish Naz. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's serious. That's quite a thing to say about somebody. <laughs> and then when I met him, like we we immediately hit it off and we got on really, really well. And then we went into the studio when we recorded Headstrong. Um, I wrote the the hook for 26 Laws and we sang and I, I sang that and and we also did Energy together. So it was it was a really cool experience, yeah. Was that kind of rapping that you were doing with him? Was that kind of indulging your your hip hop side? No, side no, of things? it wasn't. It was just it was just good old fashioned singing. Yeah, yeah. You were like, come on, I can handle it. Give me give me a couple of words. <laughs> I absolutely would not do that with him. God, oh, yeah. he is such a wordsmith. Like he's insane. <laughs> yeah, amazing wordsmith. I don't yeah. know. I haven't heard from him in a while. I don't know. Is he still making music? Yeah, I think he, no, he definitely is. Yeah. I think the the next album is nearly ready to go. Oh. Yeah, so he's. He's quite a he's quite a prolific guy, I think. Like, I mean, I mean, what well, he's going to be on his fourth album now, so cool, pretty cool. Um, so what was touring with Hosier like? That must have been a bit nuts. Yeah, yeah, with, it was the, like, um, like touring around the world with him a or? little bit. Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, a little bit of that. Um, there was because okay, so yeah, so when I met him, like, he came up to me after we we did a kind of a little like show together before, and he came up and he was incredibly lovely and polite as as is Andrew and he was like I don't want to insult you but can I can I ask you something and I was just like yeah of course and he was like would you be up for doing some backing vocals for me 
And I was kind of looking at him being like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, are you mental? You know, and was then. This, was this like post take me to church or pre take yes, me to church? This was post. Wow. This, this so was, was, sorry, sorry. This is pre. Sorry. This is pre oh, take okay. me to church. And, you know, at the time he kind of said something along the lines of, look, I don't want to get your hopes up, but we might get electric picnic. You know, that's where it was, oh, wow. you know. And we so might get electric we picnic. might yeah, we might get electric picnic. And uh and so he was like, Look, I'll send you over the drop box and look, you know, just so you know, you know, it hasn't been mastered yet, but you know, and he was really kind of like, you know, don't don't judge me too harshly, you know, and I kind of was on the way to a rehearsal and I was listening to it in my in my ears and and the first time they came up was taking me to church and I just like flipped out. Like, I yeah. think I played it like five times in a row and then like I ran into rehearsals and I was like, let's listen to Andrew's music. It's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, plugged it into the speakers and, and we were kind of listening to take me to church and cherry wine and, and sedated and stuff. And I was just like straight away, like, oh my God, this is going to be massive. Um, and, and it was, which is pretty cool. So, you know, I guess at the time, you know, the, the idea was just to kind of have me on for a couple of promos, um, kind of just post EP release. But when he blew up the way he did, we ended up going to South by Southwest. We ended up going to um, New York and L.A. as well. So that was pretty amazing. It was actually this time, this time three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah, because South by Southwest is on now. So, yeah, it's amazing when you think about like the career he's had. Yeah. Over the last like just, three years. Just the ascendancy. It's just an absolute like as steep an incline as you can imagine for him. It's pretty it's pretty amazing, you know, and it was it was kind of amazing to be kind of a fly in the wall, you know, during that time. You know, and it was, you know, one of the other amazing things about it too was was just being able to, to get to know Quiva from from Wyvern Lingo because we well, ended she up, was one of the backing singers yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was myself and Quiva. Um Karen was finishing uh, her degree at the time is also from Wyverlingo. And so it was really nice to kind of bond with Quiva and get to know her and, and kind of have, have her there on tour. So it was great. It definitely does sound like there's a real um, kind of team and kind of a web of like people who are like really supportive. I mean, so often you hear about them, you hear claims that the Irish music industry is full of snipers, you know, kind of like people being really cynical and stuff like that. But it's so good to hear like that it's not, it doesn't seem like that when, you, you know, you can easily just kind of shut out the haters sort of thing, if there are any. Yeah. It I sounds mean, like you don't have any haters. I, maybe I do out there. I mean, <laughs> we got a little bit of, I guess we got a little bit of negative backlash when, for the hot press cover. Um, but that's kind of the only really ones I've seen really on online. But your luck. I mean, if you, if you, if you look for negative feedback on Twitter, you'll find it. You'll find it. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you hear people kind of saying like, oh, you know, it's so, it's so hard. It's so hard to get into the, the music industry. And they're, they're right. It's, it's a really difficult job. If you have a full-time job as well, and you're coming home after five o'clock and you're trying to play music and you're trying to, you know, email out to promoters and, and so on. It's it's difficult, you know, and I'm lucky in the sense that I've been kind of doing music full time for, for quite some some time now that I have the luxury of kind of having my day like kind of nine to five where I'm getting up and I'm at the laptop and I'm emailing people and I'm promoting and, and so on. And I'm keeping those connections there with the people that I've met over over the last couple of years. And, you know, that's just that's just a part of the job. But, you know, I'm very much aware of the privilege that I have where I have the opportunity to do that during the day and to keep that admin and to do all that promotion and to and to kind of self-manage, you know, and also to practice and to rehearse 
and to go out and gig. I mean, it's it's difficult, but yeah. I'm also quite, I'm really lucky that I have the time to do all that. I like the idea of the, uh, being a nine to five musician. <laughs> I, I yeah. thought it's, it seems like being a musician is like the most odd hours imaginable. You just get an hour here and there. Odd is a word. Long is another one. Um, I mean, it's just, it's constant. I mean, you're never off. It's like any freelance, you know, self-employed job where like, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're chasing invoices and you're, you know, chasing, you know, confirmations for gigs and you're chasing, you know, what time am I on at? When do you need me there? You know, and they're coming back with us being like, I need a spec sheet. I need, you know, what do you need? You know, what do they need from us? And sending over promo stuff. And then you're kind of, for example, if I meet somebody with, with Codeline who looks after, you know, London gigs, I'm obviously going to try and find them online and be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> I have my own band. Please have a look, you know. And so doing all of that is is just very much a part of the job. Um, And then you... And then you go rehearse and then you go do a gig and then you get home at two and then you wake up and you do it all again. Um, it seems like the the hosier thing in particular just seems like it must have been the best like crash course in how to be a musician when you're thinking about starting back. Like what made you want to start your own band? Like kind of post hosier, you didn't want to be like you like you wanted to be the front person of a band. Yeah, of course. Of course I did. Um well, not necessarily, of course, there's plenty of musicians that don't want to be up the front, but I think I was very much inspired creatively by Lethal Dialect and I was um, inspired, sorry, um, by his, his work ethic and, and seeing him in the studio. That was a big inspiration to me. Um, and then being on tour with Andrew, who is such an incredible lyricist as well and, a, and an amazing vocalist, to be on tour with, with somebody like that and to see that there is an availability and there is an opportunity for my friend, for somebody that I know, to become, you know, so successful and so famous and so on. That was just like, yeah, this is the reality. This this can happen. This can happen to people, you know, if you put the work in. And so I think once once the kind of working with Hosier and then also working with Lethal Dialect kind of happened pretty much within the same kind of couple of months, that was the catalyst for me to to really kind of make it work. And also kind of Steve was away, uh, Steve kind of did his master's in, in, in Berkeley, Valencia for a year as well. Um, and during that time is kind of when I, I, I met Andrew um, and did the, did the kind of back and vocals for Hosier. So just before he went away, like I remember kind of, you know, having a couple of drinks and before heading off and we were like, we need to do this. We need, and you get back, we're doing this, okay? You're coming back in a year, okay. you know, finish your master's and then we're doing this when you get back. And so, you know, Steve isn't somebody to kind of uh, mince his words or to go back in his words or whatever, like, you know, so when he came back, you know, the four of us were like, okay, it's, it is time. Yeah. It is time to create music. And it seems like you have the image and everything down as well, that you know exactly what you are, that like we have to have this, this and this done before we kind of release our album. Yeah. As well. It's like, is that just from experience as well? Like you didn't want to rush anything, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it isn't. I mean, the thing is, is that I'm a little bit older. I'm 31. I've been, you know, which is why I've been able to kind of develop this experience over the last 10 years and so on. So I'm not really in a position where, you know, like, I just, I just want to really go for it at this point. You know, I really, I like this, I, I have no time anymore to be fearful. I have no time anymore 
to be worried about what other people think of me, you know, which is the beauty of, of turning 30, you know, is, is like, I don't give a crap what people think of me anymore. You know, I, I'm wearing clothes on stage that I would have been scared to wear. Like not even, I was going to say five years ago, not even like two years ago, yeah. I would have been scared to wear. And then I ended up looking at myself in the mirror and being like, so when are you going to wear these clothes? When you're 40? When you're 50? You know, you're 30, wear them now. Like, you know, because this is it. You're on stage, you're singing the music that you're singing, that you wrote with three other people who are also amazing. Just get up there and do it. And so, you know, it's left, it's left that kind of space to be really experimental and to be kind of a bit fearless. And that allows us to experiment with our image and to be really performative on stage and, and to make sure that we look really good. And the guys enjoy it as well. You know, they're a little bit older and they're just like, yeah, I, you know, I want to experiment with my image. I want to wear these clothes. I want to try this out on stage. And, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, you know, not wearing that. You know, it, there's there's none of that. You know, the guys are mature enough to be like, yeah, we want to look good on stage and we want to have like really cool photos of us. And, you know, and there's there's an enjoyment in that experimentation and there's a creativity in it too. So what's the what's the live act like at the moment? Like, I guess you're going out on, on first national tour. First national tour in, in in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So uh, so what what can people expect? I suppose. What can people expect? I am going to go mental on stage now. Um, I I uh, I love the performative element. I really really do. So, you know, I came but prior to me being in live bands. I was in drama school when I was a teenager, so I've never felt kind of worried or self-conscious about performing but definitely being with with Bark has just allowed me to kind of take that to the next level and be incredibly like dramatic on stage and be very physical um with with singing and, and with performing on stage and so I, I definitely will kind of continue continue to experiment with that um while we go on tour and it's also incredibly inspiring because it's it's not just it's not just the Bark tour it's the big giant head tour you know so it's myself um you know, the guys embark and it's going to be Hawk and it's going to be um, Harboring Oceans as well. So, you know, there's going to be a big group of us all really excited to go on tour, all being really ins- inspired and excited by each other's performances. Um, so I think that's really going to enhance everybody's playing. Yeah. Um, so you released your, your first single in about March. What was the reaction like to that? Uh, when we released Jen the Kind of Lies, we got um, we got the Spotify New Music Friday in the oh. UK and also in Brazil. So that was great. Wow. Does yeah. it, did that just kind of, like, did you know that that was happening? Because I don't really know how these playlist things work. You're like, what are we doing on this playlist? Why is everybody listening to our music? That's pretty much how I felt, yeah. Yeah. Because we just released it. Uh, and then I think a friend sent me like a link on Spotify or something. Yeah, sent me a link over Facebook being like, do you realise you're on New Music Friday playlist? And I was like, what? No, I'm not. And uh, and we checked it and I was like, oh, there we are. Oh my God. So wow. that was really cool. Yeah. So like, is is it more kind of accepting now kind of the music industry, I guess? You were talking earlier about your first band in 2005 kind of being like, nobody knew how to treat us sort of thing. And now not is a it, clue. it's completely different, is it? Everyone is kind of like, knows what you do and like how you will fit in. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's I've really seen how the music industry has developed and become so much more diverse over the last 10 years. It's been amazing. A huge part of that obviously has been 
the fact that we're we're so so much more um, multicultural now where you know you have people who are getting involved in the in the music the Irish music community who may have might be from have Brazilian descent or you know African descent um or Polish descent or or whatever and they're and they're coming and they're they're mixing and they're making amazing music which is really cool you know on Rossangano family who won the the uh, won the album of the year for choice music I mean that's a perfect example of an amazing band who were talking about being from a different country originally, coming over to Ireland, you know, immigrant culture and, and what they're what they're up against, you know? And they won album of the year, which is amazing, you know. So that's that's a big part of it, I think, as well, is that we're we're more open to having different flavors getting involved in, in our in our Irish music now. So it's not just the usual traditional stuff. Yeah. You know, which I was never raised on either. You know, my mother's half Nigerian. So she was adopted, but she very much grew up um, kind of looking towards America as, as something that she identified with. So when I was growing up, there was always Motown in the house and there was soul in the house and there was blues in the house. You know, she was very much a feminist as well. So it was always kind of female, female vocalists, really strong female vocalists like, you know, Joan Baez and, and Bonnie Raitt you know, and Joni Mitchell, you know, they were the, the people that my mom listened to. So it's kind of hard not to be influenced by that. And then meeting other kind of women now, like Farah L, who's of Libyan descent and Soleil and Jafaris and people who I'm kind of discussing what it's like kind of having these different cultures in your home and how it's influenced your music. And and that's what's kind of, I think, helped it really develop and, and become way more textural and I, I feel more at home in this in this community now which is great. Were you um, born and raised in Dublin? I was I was born and raised in Dublin my mother was born and raised in Dublin but she was adopted Um, my aunties and uncles were also adopted so they were all kind of yeah, we don't have to go into all of that no. but um, you know they were all adopted and they're all from they're all with our people of colour Um, you know so my Mother is half Nigerian. My auntie is half North African, I think. And uh, my other auntie is Indian descent. And my uncle is of Filipino descent. And we all grew up in North Side of Dublin. North Side of Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> With Phil of course. Oh. <laughs> Have you ever been to Nigeria? No, it was, it was very much kind of something I felt was up to my mother to kind of, you know, look for her roots, you know. And as we've kind of found with these particular situations with orphanages and mother baby homes in, in Ireland is that it's very difficult to get your records. And anybody who's been kind of looking at, you know, the features in, in the Guardian about mixed race babies in, in orphanages and obviously what's going on in Tune, you know, it's it's pretty insidious and, and kind of dark what was going on in these places. As a result, it's been very difficult for my aunties and uncles and my mother at the time as well to find kind of the right records to see, you know, where her kind of heritage is. Now, we know she's Nigerian. There's a very strong Nigerian community in Ireland, which has been wonderful. So like any time I've ever spoken to to Nigerian people and told them that I'm part Nigerian, it's always been like, oh my God, <laughs> I knew it. You know, you're coming over to the house. We're going to make you some food. It's going to be amazing. You know, and it's just been, you know, because when you think about like how, how we treat like Americans or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm part Irish. And we're like, yes, yeah, so. 
<laughs> but like, you know, any, any people who are Nigerian, you know, when I've told them that like, that's our background, it's, it's been really, it's been kind of met with open arms, which has made me feel really lovely. Um, you mentioned that your mother was a feminist as well. I presume that that's, that was kind of means that it was almost like a no brainer. You didn't think like, no, I'm not going to be kind of uh, vocal in the repeal the eighth campaign. No, I'm not going to, you know, go in hot press and talk about repeal the eighth and everything like that. You were very much like, yeah, what, why not? Why wouldn't I do this? Yeah, absolutely. Is um, that like the simple thing? Like, you know, why wouldn't I? It's that simple to me. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no, you know, anybody, anybody who knows me knows that I'm, I'm just, I'm just being myself. Like there's no, there's nothing different. I haven't suddenly become political or socially aware just because, um, we, we've gotten some kind of level of, of, of kind of high profileness or whatever you want to call it. Like this is just me, but I'm just, I'm just getting a slightly bigger platform, just a bigger, slightly bigger soapbox. Um, but yeah, so I guess growing up, like, yeah, like our, our background, our background is, is quite kind of colored and it's, you know, my mother was a single mother in, in the 70s in Dublin where we had no social welfare for single mothers where, you know, you had to go out and work and deal with the shame of being a single mother. And, you know, anybody else who's who's kind of close to my age who's been raised by a single mother knows how difficult it was even just to get a lease and to get a job as a single mother and all the kind of things where you're perceived as a second class citizen. My mother was perceived, I think, in a lot of ways of being a second class citizen as being a single mother, but also... Um, being a single mother of colour, you know, and she really fought against a lot of discrimination and kind of being raised by somebody like that. It's, it's, it's just a no brainer that you kind of grow up as a feminist. You grow up as like, these injustices are terrible. And I've seen how it's affected my family personally. I've seen how it's affected my, my psyche, my mother's psyche, uh, my sister's psyches. And so I know how these, injustices may be of class, maybe of social welfare, maybe of, of racism or sexism or otherwise, I've seen how they affect people. And I know that it's, that it's real and that it happens. And yeah, and it, it kind of, it seeps into the lyrics that we, that I write for Bark and it seeps into every aspect of, of how I think and behave and, and how I speak. Yeah, um, and you mentioned that you're at the uh, International Women's Day March on uh, last Wednesday in Dublin that must have been like an amazing an amazing day it was amazing yeah. it was so much fun and it was kind of funny as well because we were like on the fringes a little bit too so we were kind of seeing these like wizened old people just kind of like just like oh, it's just horrible like just kind of like throwing out insults and then kind of running away you know which is just like the kind of physical kind of shouting at the shouting at you. yeah yeah just being like you know just calling, calling us all kinds of names and, and so on, like, you know, and obviously, you know, the, the people who were actually involved in the protest, they were just ignoring us or just laughing it off. Like nobody was getting involved or, you know, causing a standoff or getting aggressive with or anything like that. We were just like, yeah, whatever. You're entitled to think what you want, like, you know, but it was amazing. You know, the, the atmosphere bar that, you know, what you're just going to get and, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, bar that it was it was an incredible experience to be a part of and you know I've been going to the kind of marches for choice now for about three years and to see it grow every year has been really really beautiful and just to see it become more diverse you know you've got people there with, with, with their kids you've got pregnant women there 
you know, you have, you know, people of all ages. I'm seeing my mother's friends there, you know, which was kind of very bittersweet because my mother passed away. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing so many different people who, who I know from all walks of life. And that's beautiful. It's really great to see that. It's kind of funny as well, though, that there's still that kind of stereotype that, like, it's students. That's that's one of the kind of little propaganda vibes I've heard, which is that, like, somebody said, like, oh, isn't it well for you now out there on the taxpayer's money because you're all students? And I was like, oh, all the things wrong with that sentence. I could just, <laughs> that's, oh, dear, you know. You need but, another protest. Yeah, just to, <laughs> just to deal with that one sentence. That's just, that's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are you working on new music at the moment? Like does the Bark stuff that's going to be upcoming in the next year, like after you release three singles last year, is that going to be a similar vibe or are you constantly kind of developing or? We, we are constantly developing, you know, and I remember being in a very weird situation. Um, this makes me sound maybe a little bit like a knob, (laughs) but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I ended up in LA, um, having a drink with, one of the lads from Def Leppard wow. and and Kiss's tour manager. <laughs> and it was the lovely Caroline Downey who introduced me to them. And so we're sitting there and I'm like, be cool, Jess, be cool. You know, and one of the things though that really stuck with me, you know, because Caroline and, and himself were having, having a chat about this, was that nobody knew who they were until their fourth album, you know. And it just sounds like such a different world in the, in the music scene. But they were like, God, you know, like, what is the story about, like, you know, this single and this has to be like the biggest thing in the world and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of, you know, the way things are now is, is, you know, that's how sometimes it feels that like everything is riding off this one song and everything is riding off these three songs or or whatever. When like, you know, bands 30 years ago weren't even considered to be, you know, proper musicians until they've they've kind of bashed out four to five albums. Um, so it kind of made me feel way more focused on the process, the creative process, connecting with Tommy and Steve and Neil creatively and, and personally and, and, you know, making sure that we have that environment that is enriched in which we can go into on a daily basis and, and create together. That to me is, is priority one. Um, and then after that, it's it's creating amazing music after that. But that's inevitably going to happen as long as priority one is is maintained, you know. So I just want to keep developing our sound, uh, making a sound as killer as possible. Um, and I'm really excited about our new single. We've we kind of went into the studio um, at the end of of 2016. We recorded four new songs. Uh, one in particular is going to be the next one called Optimus Prime. Oh. Oh yeah. Transformers. Yeah. Um, it's. I was going to say, it's a metaphor. Obviously, it's a metaphor. Jess, you didn't just write a song about the Transformers. I know, I know. I'm sorry if anybody's disappointed out there that I didn't write a Transformers song. I'm sorry. Um, But yeah, you know, and Optimus Prime is just about kind of growing as as a person, you know, and how we how we kind of find ways to grow. But anybody who's come to see us live, like they, they'll know the song. It's the first song that we start with at the moment. And it's really just kick you in the face kind of a hook. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to to release that. Is that one of the things about kind of recording like songs that you've made your own live? It's trying to capture that live thing is kind of, oh, how how do we do it? Or did you find it like, we we nailed that? It's no, no, it, <laughs> no, it's been difficult for me. You know, it's such a different skill. I was only talking to a friend about this last night, actually. 
it's such a different skill being a recording artist than it is being a live performer. Um, you know, you're not going to just as easily, you know, maybe some people do, but I don't. Um, you're not as easy just going to slide into one and then the other. Super easy. For me, it was always very difficult going into the studio and just hearing myself differently and, and hearing, you know, and just engaging with myself as a, as a vocalist differently when I was in the studio. Um, so it was it was difficult for me, I have to say, just going from like the live performance where I just feel like this is my home, this is where I'm meant to be. And then in the studio where you're just a bit like, ah, you know, if I don't get this right, then I have to do it again and then I have to do it again and then I'll have to do it again and then I'll never get it right. And then it's going to cost us loads of money. And then all the lads will be really angry with me. Oh God, this is terrible. Oh, you know, and so like if you allow that state of mind to take over then it can be a very difficult place so you just have to make sure not to do that yeah so it was difficult but we got there in the end we definitely did and it's amazing now to hear them back mixed and be like okay that's awesome and it sounds like you're still getting there as well like I mean it's been an amazing first year of Bark like I guess second year maybe you know if you include the, the 12 months getting started yeah yeah um and I'm sure that you're gonna have a killer next 12 months who knows who choice, knows choice prize next year fingers song, crossed song of the year oh song of the year Album I'd love year. that I'd love that <laughs> if we got song of the year last year that would just be a dream um but yeah I think 2017 is about you know getting those international gigs we're doing Canadian Music Week in April doing our first national tour in March uh doing Whelan's which is going to be amazing because we're going to be like you know, downstairs in Whelan's and, you know, our, our first uh, single launch was was upstairs in Whelan's and then we're downstairs oh. in the big boys room, <laughs> you know, and that's really, that's really intimidating, but really exciting. That's the 6th of April. So there's loads of cool things happening and I'm really excited about it. So, and then of course, you know, next year we're just going to obviously win Choice Music Prize. Even though we don't have an album, we're going to win it. So that's just what's going to happen. Cool. Well, <laughs> best of luck with that. 